Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 148 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Australian bush legends and myths. As part of our cultural identity, uh, Australia, like most other countries, uh, relies on our early European settlement uh, to provide our cultural identity. Uh, and this isn't alone. It, it comes in play along with Indigenous culture as well. Um, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some of those legends and myths that are well known from both Indigenous and non-Indigenous culture. Um, and while some of these legends and myths have a degree of uh, assuredness and uh, fact, some have a small degree of truth associated with them and others are just downright fabrications. Whatever the degree of truth is involved, it doesn't stop us from talking about them and where possible having a degree of fun at the expense of gullible people, particularly overseas tourists and media personalities. The following myths and legends are some of Australia's best known, uh, although there will be some that you may never have heard of, and there's some that we may not have included. Uh, we tried to focus on the nationally recognised and known ones. We hope you enjoy. Now, in no particular order, um, we're going to go through a series of the main myths and legends that are, are around. And the first one we're going to look at is Australian bush panthers or pumas. Now, there's been no shortage in news reports over the last hundred years of giant black cats in the bush. And in fact, there's been over 500 reports, and we seem to get these reports coming through on a regular basis. That's a lot of reports. It's a lot of reports. <laughs> I've never seen a huge black cat in the bush. And this is this is one of the things, I suppose, you know, the comment on if you go online is for things that are total fabrications or potentially fabrications, this has had a lot of media and a lot of reports coming through. So maybe there is a, a degree of truth uh, in the these sightings. Now, there's two main theories behind these sightings, uh, and these are, uh, at some stage in the past, animals have escaped from either the circus or the zoo, or you know, as one report, that the US military had them over here as uh, mascots, and when they went back to the States after the end of, of the war, they just released them into the bush and let them go. Um the other possibility is that they're just large feral cats. It's a big feral it's cat. It's a big feral <laughs> cat. Uh, and certainly the, uh, the largest one that I came across when I was doing research for this podcast, and this was unconfirmed, was a cat that weighed about 35 kilos and there was 1.5 metres in length. And I'm guessing that probably included the length of the tail as well. That's big. Uh, it wasn't confirmed. Um, <laughs> But in all honesty, feral cats can get quite large. They can get quite mean-looking, and you know, black cats end up in the wild just as much as any other colour. So you know, it it is possible 
that either these have been sightings of large, fast-moving feral cats, or it has been that, as I said, that, that some things escaped into the wild. There's a, um, an example uh, where I came across where there was a, um, a historic photo taken from the 1920s that shows a dead puma in one of the newspapers that had been shot after it escaped from a circus. So as unlikely as this is, uh, we've never had any proof to say, yes, they do exist. Um, the possibility still exists in this case. From there, we move on to uh, the next one, which is the Bunyip or the Yowie. Now, America has the Bigfoot and the Sasquatch. The Himalayas, we've got the Abominable Snowman. Uh, and in Australia's perspective, we have the Bunyip or the Yowie. Now, this creature is grounded in Aboriginal culture uh, and goes by different names depending on where you are and is often associated with waterways. Various descriptions exist, and if you search the web, you'll come up with all sorts of different images about what the, uh, the Bunyips and the Yowies look like. There are descriptions, particularly out of Aboriginal culture, that describe these as being half human, half fish, being roughly twice the size of a, a, a human. Um, Personality-wise, they, they've been described from being shy and timid to occasionally being dangerous. In terms of the what they look like, I didn't think that they would be half half human, half fish. For some reason, um, I've heard about bunyips and yowies, you know, all, all, all my uh, adolescence, and yeah, I I was quite surprised by that. It's quite, I was as well actually. And if you look at online, when I was trying to find some images for these, um, it. It was a bit variable, but it wasn't anything that came across looking like um, the uh, a yeti or a, yeah. a or, or a bigfoot that you you often see represented from the states. So it's um, the image, uh, and I've got images for these in the written version of this podcast, and I'll have the sh- link to that in the show notes. And the, the image for the bunyip was actually from the late eighteen hundreds, and it almost. The best way to describe it, this looks like a, a, a rabid large Labrador in, in a pond with someone, uh, a body in its mouth. So you, know, you look online and there's quite different variations in what these things are supposed to look like. Well, the other thing is that um, the image uh, that we've got is quite an aggressive one. Um, so saying that it's a shy and timid creature, occasionally dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> when it's yeah. dangerous, it's pretty dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah, you do see a variety of things. And I, um, and I remember that uh, uh, growing up in the, uh, as a child in the 70s, uh, there was a book that came out in 1972 called The Bunyip That Ate Canberra. Uh, and this was a uh, a creature that lived in Lake Burley Griffin, which is our central lake. Mm, there are all sorts of things that live in <laughs> Lake Burley Griffin. I'm not sure that a Yowie is one of them. Now, probably one of the best-known myths or legends is the drop bear. Um, and the, the uh, we've got a link here that goes to the Australian Museum, and they've given this a name of Phylarca, I, you know, okay, I'm not going to get this name right here, Thylactos plumatus, and I think the plumatus means that means they drop from trees. <laughs> uh, now, these closely resemble koalas and live in the same habitat, 
And this is where the problem arises. You know, while koalas are quite happy to sit in trees and chew leaves, these things wait for unsuspecting passers-by to drop down on people and attack. Usually tourists. Usually tourists, <laughs> and in particular American tourists. Funnily enough. <laughs> Funnily enough. Uh, and then, you know, the description here is the impact often stuns the prey and it allows them to, to bite the neck uh, and the, uh, uh, the, the prey is quickly subdued. Now, I know talking to a friend that had a bit of fun with the American military when they came over and he, he was in the Australian Army uh, and he'd convinced everyone that he was with from America that the only thing that would protect you was a pair of mirrored sunglasses. <laughs> uh, and and this, this entire Australian platoon all had mirrored sunglasses just to, to keep, the, keep the roost going. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing that... Uh, uh, it can be quite amusing, and as I said on the written uh, uh, version of this, I've got a uh, a Scottish reporter being had a bit of fun with uh, uh, reportedly holding a drop bear and her reaction to it. So it's worthwhile going online and having a look at that. Now the next one is probably not so well known, and this is this is something from my father's or grandfather's generation, uh, and these are hoop snakes. And, and in fact, the image we've got online here is actually quite an old image. Um, and hoop snakes are one of these things, they get their names from when they're threatened, uh, they will grab hold of their, their tail and form a hoop, and they'll come rolling after you. Reportedly, it speeds it up to 60 kilometres an hour. Oh, that's pretty uh, And before biting you. Um now, if they're only um, scared, they might just crawl away like other snakes, but when they're threatened, they, they, they virtually turn into a hula hoop and come chasing after you. I don't think this is one that many younger people in Australia would be aware of, and it's only something that even, even with my age, I was only vaguely aware of as a child. So it's, um, it's the hoop snake supposedly is uh, present uh, in a number of places around the world. Yeah, this is this is one I don't recall hearing about. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably gone out gone out of fashion a little bit. Um, it is, and the book I've actually got the image out of from this one, and it's an American book, and they have all sorts of strange, weird, and wonderful uh, animals that uh, you've never seen of or heard heard of before. So it, it's quite a, a good little source. And again, the link uh, in the uh, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes to that one. Now, moving back to Indigenous culture again, we've got Min Min lights. Um, and this is a series of unexplained lighting phenomena, um, and it's best described as fast-moving or floating balls of light. Um, some people believe, or some Indigenous people believe, this is the spirits of the elders looking for, uh, for their country. Uh, another thought. Uh, another thought is that they also distract people that come across them uh, and and make them get lost. Um, so you'll hear different uh, different views on different parts of Australia. There's actually a shire in Queensland that promotes these as a tourism feature. So if you happen to be passing through, they they suggest that you've got about a hundred and twenty kilometre stretch where you can come across these lights. Now, the last one we're going to talk about um, is, and again, this is probably one of our better known ones, is Tasmanian tigers. Now, 
The fact that these actually existed is not not a myth or legend. Uh, they did exist. Um, the Tasmanian tiger uh, was, uh, as far as the, the species was concerned, was declared extinct in 1936. And... This was an Australian marsupial carnivore, which means they had a pouch, uh, a bit like kangaroos. Uh, and as a, a creature, they've been, back, been around as far back as 30 million years ago. Uh, but the modern species that we have come to know has been around for about 4 million years. They were spread across much of Australia. Um, uh, and, and certainly by the time the European settlers arrived, they were very much limited more so to Tasmania. Uh, and the thought was that the introduction of the dingo greatly reduced their numbers. And certainly from a, a European perspective, they were often seen to be taking lambs and stock. So there was a, a bounty put on them. Uh, and in the late 1800s, there were 2,000 bounties paid out which probably accounted for just about everything else that was remaining population-wise. Now, it's interesting through this one here, you know, looking up and doing, getting the information for this for the podcast, you know, you've, you, the more you read on it, it's one of these species that was probably never going to survive long-term. Um, you know, it wasn't a particularly effective predator. Um, it relied on small prey, you know, like possums and bandicoots. Um, it was thought to hunt uh, larger prey like kangaroos, but only in a pack. Uh, whereas if you look at dingoes, um, they will pack hunt as well as hunt as individuals, but they're more than capable of taking down a reasonable-sized wallaby or a smaller kangaroo by themselves. So now they were always in a, in a bit of a losing battle when uh, a new species comes in or when, in the case of humans, we decide we're going to kill them mm -hmm. off. Yeah. Over the last couple of weeks, we've reviewed a movie called The Hunter, uh, and that's uh, the storyline behind that is the Tasmanian tiger. So if you're into Tasmanian wilderness uh, and uh, into the thoughts of Tasmanian tigers, this movie puts them together. Um, and I think in the case of um, the tigers, again, I think there's probably – the jury is still out with an, in a lot of cases on this one. You know, Tasmania is so remote in some of the wilderness areas um, and so hard to get to. The view is that they may still exist in some of the remote areas, but you know, no no concrete evidence has been provided you know, since 1936 that they still exist. Yeah, it'd be nice to think so, but um, uh, you know, if if there are no sightings, uh, is it is it possible? Um... Or is everyone just keeping it quiet because they don't want everyone to know? <laughs> That's another conspiracy theory. Okay, so as we said, some of these myths uh, and legends are real uh, and some may uh, have some elements of truth while others are just downright fabrications. But uh, it doesn't stop us having a bit of fun and it doesn't stop us from, from imagining that the Tasmanian tiger or the giant uh, uh, Australian panther does exist. Uh, again, you know, until we um, find them or fail to find them, you never know. Well, that's a bit inconclusive, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, from a news perspective, as this podcast goes to air in uh, mid-May 2020, one of the, the, the biggest news in relation to hiking is concerned is that um, either over the last weekend or this coming weekend, uh, that a lot of the states and territories are starting to open up national parks and reserves. Yay. Here in Canberra, as an example, Tidbinbilla Nature Reserve, which is one of our uh, more formalised reserves, uh, is open again um, yeah, I, on Friday just after we released this podcast. They opened it up recently um, after the fires and closed it very quickly when 500 people turned up uh, on one day uh, and they decided that given the coronavirus, they, they were trying to uh, minimise the impact. So again, open again, and a lot of states and territories are doing the same. They're opening their national parks, they're opening their territories, they're opening their reserves. Which is fantastic, but we just have to kind of pace ourselves and not not go crazy. Um, the other thing that's uh, it's worthwhile keeping in mind as well is we still have a number of areas that have been greatly impacted by the fires, and I'm hoping to actually get out to some of those areas uh, in the coming weeks just to see what what's what impact has happened on the bush uh, and how things are recovering. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the pandemic has stopped me doing that, and what I was hoping to release in mid March has been been delayed for for quite a while. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. Not a, a long one by any means. In next week's episode, we're doing a series of interviews with a an Australian-based travel company and a couple of hikers on the Kamano Kudo track, and excuse my pronunciation here. <laughs> uh, this is a, uh, a World Heritage Trail or pilgrimage trail in Japan, uh, and it's actually a series of trails that takes in a lot of um, the older temples. Um, it's a hike I've been trying to talk to people about for a while, uh, and, and the stars have aligned over this coming week, and uh, I'll have, be presenting a, a series of three separate interviews in the next episode to provide a bit more information. Now, I know that um, we can't actually travel anywhere at the moment, <laughs> but this is to provide a, uh, a bit of a, a, a wet the appetite and get people considering this is a possibility uh, for next year's uh, Northern Hemisphere uh, uh, spring, summer and autumn period. Yeah, so when we can go, we go, but at the moment we can't. All we can do is plan, which is a good thing to do. But It is, it is. And don't forget, if you have the opportunity, please go through and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or your podcast listener of choice. That'll help us get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. Now, if you've spent much time in Australia, you'll be aware that like most other countries, we have a series of legends and myths that form If you've spent much time in Australia, you'll be aware that like most other countries, we have a series of med So we, we over the last couple of weeks we've removed over the last couple of weeks we've renewed <laughs>